Welcome to uh, Work Matters, a podcast where we explore what leaders can do to make work more meaningful, productive, impactful, and valuable. Um, my name is Thomas Bertels. I'm the host of the podcast and the founder of PurposeWorks Consulting. My guest today is Michael Leckie. Michael is um, you're uh, an author, right? A consultant, a speaker, um, and uh, and uh, and coach um, who was really on a mission to uh, help build the human capabilities that help organizations change for good. Yes, sir. And uh, you come with uh, you know a long, long career background. You were a partner at Gartner. Uh, you were a chief learning officer at, at Bloomberg and uh, uh, GE Digital, right? Um, yeah, I was chief and, learning officer for the digital transformation at GE. Yes, and and so and, and you're uh, and you're just about uh, to publish uh, an amazing book, which I really enjoyed, uh, The Heart of Transformation. Um, and I guess you know I want to want to take the podcast today to just you know talk to you about you know some of the ideas in the book and uh, and, and share that with our listeners. So. Um, uh, yeah, in in your book, you talk about the heart of transformation. Um, the title is intriguing, right? So, so what's the what's the what's the central idea? Well, and Thomas, the central idea was that I, I spent a career, and it's funny, I just got off another call that kind of echoed this. Um, but a career of people getting excited about technology and you know the transformation and change that technology brings, and it does, it does. I mean, technology and and the pace of change and the pace of change driven by technology has been you know amazing and overwhelming. Um, but the, the way that human beings work and, and work together and think has not really evolved near as fast. Uh, a friend of mine says we're living in a world of, you know, of uh, second generation human systems with fifth generation technology systems, probably sixth now. And so when I started looking at it and I started talking to, you know, CIOs and CDOs, CTOs and chief executive officers, what have you, at the end of the day, they're all saying, Hey, it's not. It's not the technology. We either get it or we get there with it. It, it. it comes soon enough. But the culture and the people, how do we get people to change along with the technology? And so I began looking at that and I looked at all these ways that we tried to change people, which were big, massive campaigns and saying, here's the new thing. Here's the new belief. Here's the new truth. You know, get as excited as I am about this thing that will, you know, ratchet up the value of my stock options that you don't have any of, you know, um, get excited about these things. We'll put my name on magazines that you'll never be on. And everyone's like, you know what? I'm, I'm kind of worried about getting through the day, keeping my job, doing a good job, raising my family. And so human beings aren't built to change, they're built to survive. So if we're going to create change as a capability, it's something we have to work on and it's human and it's individual. And so that's why I call it kind of the, the heart of transformation because at the heart of transformation are people and we forget that. We start pretending that it's the organization. And one of the things I mentioned in the book early on, I said, look, let's be honest, organizations don't exist. They're convenient. We have, you know, names on paper for tax purposes. We have, you know, uh, places, you know, uh, uh, you know, created, uh, you know, in specific states to avoid taxes. We have buildings and logos and all sorts of stuff. But an organization is simply the people in it working towards some sort of shared purpose. Without that, there is no organization. But we tend to forget that. And that's what I was trying to bring people back to is a very human approach to how do you actually foster an environment where change becomes a capability. And, and you also argue that that's like the change itself has changed, right? So the nature of change today is is is, is a little different than what it was uh, before. Yeah, well, I would I, I would say, and Thomas, I mean, we used to live in a fairly stable environment. Um, barriers to entry were high. Um, you did a lot of capital, 
and things didn't change that much. And so you could sit and get the smartest people and put them in the, the nice conference room and they could look at the markets and what was happening and what was going on and come up with a really solid strategy and they could focus on execution. And when we love that word execution, um, the problem is, is that the circumstances, the context we're in is now changing so fast, partially due to the technological changes that our strategies have a really short shelf life. And some of our organizations are so cumbersome that by the time we get those translated and rolled out and interpreted, they're already old news. They're not doing any good. And so we have to move into that place where we're willing to, you know, do two things with strategy. One, make it much bigger and make it much smaller. So make it much bigger has to be clear about some sort of purpose that people can get behind and some sort of outcome. And I'm not talking about an outcome like two cents more per share this quarter. Right. I'm talking like a, an outcome that's specific about it, what, what it does for customers, for the world, how, how this product impacts things. And then how you get there, the micro strategies have to be allowed to happen in a lot of different places to achieve that. We're still kind of mucking about in the middle in a lot of places saying, here's the path and let me kind of lay it down for you. And then let's, let's manage you to execute. And you know what? We get a lot of great people doing great execution on things that no longer are going to make an impact or make a difference. Yeah, and it's going to take forever too, right? To uh, you know, to, yeah. to I mean, it all yeah. out, right? I mean, yeah, and you execute the strategy, and you're like, oh, well, geez, that's no longer the right strategy. But you know, we're there. We're, we're where we should have been two years ago. But hey, we're there now, and it doesn't do us much good if somebody else has you know moved forward a little bit faster and better. Which is what happens with you know, I mean, and and people have talked about this. You know, Clay Christensen's work on the innovators' dilemma has talked about it forever. You know, you have to be willing to give up what you've got to move to the thing that you don't have, and. Well, again, that's 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 a risk. That's not doesn't seem safe in our context, and so we often will just hang on to what's been working, you know, and and delude ourselves it's still going to work, and that that linear line of the future is good. I mean, you know, we look back down the line of what's happened in our company, and then we turn around, and we look, and we just extrapolate that same line. We don't realize there's a cliff coming right up there because of everything changing, and we don't realize it until we're laying at the bottom of it, wondering, you know, what happened and how this startup company ate our lunch. So that also changes, obviously, the work that leaders do, right? Uh, and, and I guess that that's what your your book is is all about, right? So, so you talk about so like the the six capabilities that that leaders need to really to develop to to thrive in in this right environment, right, where you have nonstop change all the time. Um, tell us about those capabilities. And, uh, and yeah, yeah, sure. And I'll, I'll say this up front: um, the capabilities are not, you know, going to uh, uh, just blow people's minds with their new uniqueness. I talk about things like um, uh, uh, exploration before execution, uh, humanizing before organizing, innovating before replicating, uh, pathfinding before path following, and, and and these are ideas that we've heard expressed a lot before in a lot of different ways, probably even in better ways than I say them. Um, but what I try and do with them is say, look, we've talked about this and we can agree. Yeah, we need to be more, you know, curious and creative and innovative and collaborative and flexible and all the good things that we talk about that, you know, good leaders and good managers are leading. We don't tell anybody actually how to do it. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm reminded I was talking to somebody about um, the, unfortunately, and I'll have to get past this. The only time I ever went scuba diving was a little resort island resort and we went out and I took the learn to scuba class and I was a lot excited because I have friends who'd done scuba diving and you know we got down and then I was having a problem just kind of maintaining a level and I could see the instructor like you know saying things and finally she gives me this irritated thumbs up so we both went to the surface and she goes you have to stay level I said 
okay, I'm, I'm trying. What do I do? She goes, just stay level. And when we got done with the thing, I actually got mad and I usually don't. I said, I got to tell you, you were the most useless person I've ever worked with in anything like this because you told me, you know, just stay level. I don't know how to do that. But yet we spend our lives telling people be this or be that and we don't tell them how. So in the book, what I've tried to do and with my work, what I've tried to do is said, okay, how can you actually, um, uh, you know, adopt this being um, you know, uh, exploring before executing, humanizing before organizing. And for me, it's simply, you have to change some behaviors, but you have to even get more concrete, which is some of the easiest behaviors to change are the questions you ask. And then what happens when you ask them and what you do. And so for each of the capabilities, what I do is I give people a handful of questions. They're not the only ones, maybe not even the best ones. I hope they're pretty good ones. I think they are, but they're questions that when asked of yourself, of others and answered, start to reveal the assumptions that we're working on that we're not paying any attention to and actually might start to give us cause to challenge some of those assumptions of ourselves or others and move to a place where we're actually learning and growing and changing. And the changing itself is great, but the developing the ability to change and some sort of process or tool to do it is even more important. And when it comes to leaders, to your question, leaders have to, well, lead and do it first? Do they have to stop thinking that because I'm the head of finance, what I know about finance is most important. It's now how do I actually lead change? And I do that by learning how to change myself and doing that publicly so people see it and start to feel um, you know, some psychological safety with their own changing and having to learn and unlearn and relearn and not know. And so really the, the in, in the book, the book is written, the, the tools can be used by anybody, but for leaders, it's how do you not only use those tools, but do it somewhat vulnerably, you know, a little bit nakedly on the stage and approach it with humility so others believe that you're sincere and believe that it's okay for them to do it too, as opposed to, we all need to transform. Y'all change, I'll sit back and judge that when performance review time comes around. That's not a real recipe for supporting people. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, and I love the, the real practical uh, approach that you've taken, right? Where you say, you know, you got to start with, as you say, right, the questions you ask yourself and, and, and you know, and take a hard look at the answers, right? And and yeah. and, and also, you know, again, start that dialogue. It's not just you yourself that right, needs to figure out everything, right? It's a collective effort, right? And and, uh, yeah. and I think that the questions are really excellent guide to for leadership teams even to, to explore together. Yeah, because you think about all the meetings you've been in or participated in or watched, um, and so many of them are just you know so so useless and so awful, quite frankly, um, you know, not to mince words. And yet, an, or a, a meeting where you're actually exploring something together and it's okay to do that is the one that gets really interesting. And so, what I what I try and do is I try and have accessible but provocative enough questions like. Um, one of them that I've used that, that people really respond to well is, well, what's the cost of replicating this success? Something's working really well, so we're not paying any attention to it. Let's focus on other things. Well, what's the cost of continuing to replicate this? And sometimes it's the right thing to continue to replicate and scale and go to market with. It's still the right product or the right service. But we also discovered that the cost of just replicating it is we're sacrificing innovation. We're sacrificing learning. We're not paying enough attention to when it might no longer be the right thing to be replicating. And so you have to, you know, at least be asking the questions, which allows us to build the mechanisms into pause. You know, I, I, there's, a, there's a great book um, 
uh, I'm going to blank in his name right now, um, by Ed Hess and Catherine Ludwig called Humility is the New Smart. And in it, Ed says that what we know to be true today has a shelf life of about three years, which just is a, a statement that blows me away. I, I, I actually, I've got to call Ed and ask him, what's the research behind that? Because <laughs> I've got to know. But I mean, we're operating in a world where, you know, truth is changing. You know, things we knew to be true are changing very rapidly. And yet, if we operate under the old truths, we soon find that we're out of context. We're kind of out, out of our time or a bit anachronistic. And it happens to a lot of organizations. Um, and, and when it's, it's too late when they start to realize that. And then at the top, they say, we have to completely transform and change. And nobody else has a skill or capability to do that or knows how. They're just going to wait until a new management comes around or if it all goes sideways, they go back out and get a job somewhere else. You know, they've got a, a skill that can move them somewhere. So they're not near as invested in making that happen. And it becomes too late, I think. So one of the the, the principles in, in, in your book, right, I think exploring versus executing, right? You have a lot of great stories in the book, right? Which which I think makes it makes it a real pleasure to read. Oh, thank you. When you talk about like the um the um Jeff Immelt's vision, right? It becomes like a um a digital industrial company, right? And right. How, how that didn't quite turn out as, as expected, right? Um, do you mind sharing the story? I thought it was really insightful. No, I, I don't mind at all. I mean, and so, you know, I, I worked, so full disclosure and everything, I worked for GE for two years um, as the, the chief learning officer for the digital transformation. I worked with them for a number of years before that um, when I was a part of Gartner. Um, I will say this and I'll, I'll say it again and we'll see if it stands the, the test of time when this video is unearthed, you know, sometime from now. I still believe that Jeff had absolutely the right idea. I think that his idea of moving from being a company that big built and serviced big, beautiful machines to being uh, a platform as a service for the industrial internet of things was, was and is spot on. Um, and I think that GE was in a pole position to do this. They had the intellectual firepower. They had the vision, the dream to do it. Um, and they actually even had at one point the scale to make the investment in something that didn't have an immediate return that shareholders could see, which we've kind of, we've kind of choked innovation in a lot of big companies that haven't started as innovators because it's expensive and you don't get to see it in your quarterly results. Um, but when I look at GE, a lot of different things happened. There were some mistakes that made that were made quite frankly, when Jack Welch was there that happened before Jeff even came on board. Um, that, you know, sort of caught up in some, you know, different things with, with GE Capital, a bit of a perfect storm to pull away the, the ability to have, you know, the, the, both the capital and the confidence, I think, to continue to invest in this dream. Um, but when you, when you looked at what people were doing, you know, I think that one of the things that happened at GE is we're kind of betwixt and between this, we wanted to build this new way of working and thinking and operating but we went about it the same way we kind of always did in many ways, which was, here's the goal and you guys break it down and execute it. Um, and I don't think we allowed for near enough just curiosity, confrontation, exploration. We started to do some of that and it really was working well. But I think by that point, a number of dominoes had started to fall. And, you know, um, uh, at that point, you know, for one reason or another with, you know, the, the different pressures they have, which I'm not, you know, uh, privy to, the, you know, the board made a change. Um, you know, John Flannery came in for about a year. And then, you know, uh, Larry Culp came in from, from Danaher and really kind of took it 
back to things that everybody understood, um, which, you know, I think they're doing some good work, turning some things around. GE still has amazing people and amazing products, but, um, you know, pulled back from really pushing the envelope because execution was a strength. Exploration was a growing strength, but execution is what won the day because it's what the organization was used to. And it was a lot of seeing really great, smart, thoughtful people who got it, but didn't realize that they were having a hard time breaking their own coding and training that really got me interested in, in, in what I eventually wrote in the book. And in working with some of them one by one in small groups and seeing them start to operate differently, that's what really gave me hope. And um, personally for me, my greatest regret is I didn't have at least one more year to keep doing that before things change, because I think that we could have made a lot of progress. Um, but it's why I tell organizations now, look, change is a game played by individuals in groups. And that's how it has to happen. You find the bright spots, the coalition of the willing, whatever, and you, you let it start to happen there. And you make it something that becomes a draw. And you make it something that they're doing themselves and exploring and figuring out. You don't make it a template you shove down people's throats because that's just one more template we ask them to execute on. And it's just one more surface change if that happens. Is that is that helpful? That's super helpful. I mean, it ties back to the to the theme, right? You got to set a clear, compelling direction and a North Star, and then you got to let go of the reins a lot and, and yeah. allow a lot of experiments and exploration to occur, right? And learning to occur. And and, yeah, and, again, do, that, and I, I think that, cons that 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 collides like front, head on right with like the the classical model that says, but we gotta you know it's a three year investment and we gotta do a big analysis and we gotta right you gotta have all these milestones and KPIs and and you basically say you know in three years that's the point where I have to be right and I can pinpoint it exactly right and I think that's the that's the fallacy right again and again that yeah. that people right don't start traveling without knowing exactly where they're gonna end up right. Yeah, you may have to work on how you get there. You may get there in creative ways, but you know what that destination is. And I'll be interested to see what Jeff does now with the, you know, the 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 you know the companies he's you know supporting and investing in and working in. Um, because I think I think it took I think it took a lot of courage to see kind of that vision and to push for it. And I don't think we work in a world that necessarily rewards that. Now, Jeff Himmel's far from perfect. He made mistakes like everyone does, like we all do. Yeah. Um but you also think of someone who was handed this company, what, the week of 9-11 and their biggest revenue at that time was, was aircraft engines. I mean, he took the company through some massive changes and, and kept that company going and growing. Um, but, it, you know, there were there were mistakes made at different places by a lot of different people. But I still think that he was pushing for a, a, a great vision. Um, and we'll see somebody, you know, do... I hope to hopefully at the same level, but somebody do what he was trying to do. And I think now it's more likely to be like a Microsoft or someone else who will, who will do that and create that platform and really be there to, you know, bring together, you know, all the, the things in the industrial internet of things market, which they, they, they um, estimate the industrial internet of things. I mean, if you think about internet of things now, right, I've got my, my phone here, you know, my microphones on Bluetooth, I've got, you know, my Amazon echoes or whatever, all the different devices, the refrigerator, all the Internet of Things stuff, they estimate the industrial Internet of Things will be six times the size of the one we have now for consumer. So somebody's going to be out there making that work. Um, but, you know, it, it's going to have to be done in a, in a different way. And it's going to have to be done by saying, here's that goal. Now, 
at these small levels. Let's figure out how to get there. How do you get your piece and kind of make it build up and add up as opposed to deconstruct it and have it executed, yeah. I guess. Yeah, and I think I mean what I love about your 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 book. Uh, coming back to that for a second, is is right. It, it really talks about like the ability of the individual leader to to work on themselves, right, and develop like the, yeah. the muscles and, and and the mindset, right. And I think uh, I mean obviously that needs to be accompanied by you know changes in in organizational structures and routines and and ways the work gets done, right. That enables people then actually to be effective in that, right? Because right. Yeah. If if you do still do yeah. like annual budgeting and five year plans and all that fun stuff, right? Then, then that becomes hard, right? Then the individual doesn't really have that much space, right? Um, True. And if you go back and say, "Hey, you know, we want to do something different here. Can we change the annual budgeting process for the whole company?" <laughs> the answer is going to be no, right? No one's going to do that. Yeah. But I was talking to a, a group once at GE, and we we're talking about uh, it was a, it wasn't a group that I had done done this with. They'd done it on their own, and the leader of it knew he wanted to do some some innovation. Um, and he knew that the way that they were budgeting and rewarded was not set up to meet it. So he knew he couldn't go change the entire reward system. He knew he couldn't go change the comp and the budget system. It just was just too massive a, a machine. But he went back and he said, but we can change it for one project in these areas that we try something out. And so he went back to the human resources folks and the, and the finance folks and said, here's what I want to do with my budget just this one time, this contained little pilot. Here's what I want to move over and spend. And here's how I want to reward people differently for this piece of it. Hmm. And they said, okay, that's different, but it's small. It's contained, doesn't threaten the big, you know, behemoth structure. You go ahead and do that. And he began proving out that it worked. And he went back and said, here's the results we got, how we did it. Here's what happened when we did it the way we were supposed to. It's okay. That's interesting. So that division began to look at it. So something like that can start to go viral once you've proven it at a smaller level, but you have to be willing to do that. And unfortunately, most most organizations think that the best way to do systemic change is systematically, you know, systemically. <laughs> and it's not. Systemic change actually has to happen in individual and organic places and push into the system as opposed to just try and do it over through the whole system at once, because there are parts of the system that will no longer be needed. There are parts of the system that will need to be added on. So systemic change changes the system and if you try and do it with the existing system intact across the whole thing, you're doomed to fail. Yeah, it's like, I mean that's also at the heart of agile, right? Where they say, "Hey, totally, you know, right? Let's let's have this product owner and they say where we're going to go, and then we're going to let the developers figure out how to get there, right? And, yeah. how, and 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 that's it, right? And right? we don't need to tell them exactly, right, when to write what line of code. Let them figure it out, right? And, and you're right. Works, right, we'll adjust. Look- we're fine until we find something that works, right? I mean, it's a it's a very human approach to to doing things, right? It is, and I, I think people forget that. I, as a, a friend of mine, um, uh, Daniel Mezik, who talks a lot about this, and I remember one day he said in the conversation, he's, "Look, if it isn't awkward, it isn't agile. I mean, agile is about curiosity, uh, awkwardness, confrontation, truth telling, exploration, being open, being vulnerable, failing, acknowledging it. It's it's a very very human human approach, and." If you even look at what the Agile Manifesto, I think the first thing it says, um, people in their interactions over processes and tools. That's the first thing it says. And yet what do most corporations do? 95%, they put in processes and tools. Yeah. That's all they're used to doing. The people in the interaction part, well, how do you do that? You can't control that. What if it gets messy? What if somebody says, you didn't do your job? I don't want to lose face. I don't want to be called out. And so they 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 we create these, these bizarre social uh, gatherings and organizations where we all sit there with a smile on our face and don't you know, point out 
the person we know is completely full of BS or the person that's not telling us the truth or the plan that won't work because of where somebody sits in the hierarchy. And then we have all of that conversation in the background, but it doesn't really go anywhere. Whereas in an agile team, you're like, you know, you're going to have X done by today and you didn't do that. Why is that? Do you need help? Are you not capable? Do we need someone else to do it? Is something going on? Let's understand that so we can fix it, you know, and it may be your fault, maybe not your fault, maybe partially your fault. It may have some implication for you, but we have to have the honest conversation or we're not getting anywhere. That's not what we do in organizations is have those honest conversations. So with me, a book that's question-based allows us to ease into that and start to change the expectation that we can't tell the truth to each other in our meetings. Yeah, no, it's like, I, I think I think it's an excellent book. Uh, I think it's going to be out in what, like 15 days, 14 days? When is Yeah, well, today we're recording this, I guess it's the 15th of July, um, and it's out on the 27th in North America. It actually was released in Europe, Middle East, and Africa, and most of the rest of the world on um, July 3rd. So I just, like I said, it's got my box yesterday. It's the first time I would touch it was uh, was last night, which is nice. And, um, you know, I, it was, I've been I've been honored to get some really, you know, uh, good endorsements and good feedback. Now it's just a matter of, of hoping I can get some people to read it so it, it makes an impact. And, um, you know, I, I think of what is like the TED concept is, you know, ideas worth sharing. I think after, you know, 20, 20 some years in this space, I, I have an idea worth sharing and I just want to share it with as many people as possible. So I'm, I'm thrilled to be on your, your podcast. I have an opportunity to do that with your audience. Wonderful. And, and I can highly recommend it. I, I really, um, you know, I read quite a bit and, 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 you know, business books can be a, tough you know <laughs> uh, but but i really uh, i like your book i like uh, i like also the personal touch that you that you put in, in the end and bring in your own experiences versus you know the the usual 5k studies right so i think it's yeah. it's definitely worth a read, uh, a read. Well, thank you michael lecky the heart of transformation yeah coming coming to a screen near you soon um thank you so much michael and uh also you know please don't uh, forget to check out the other episodes in our um work matters podcast series you can find it on uh, youtube Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your your news. I've, I've, I've checked some out, and they're good stuff. So I would, I would definitely endorse that for the rest of the audience here. Do check them out. And thank you so much, Thomas. Always a great time. Thanks. Thanks, Michael. Bye. Cheers. <laughs>